Well, it's so good to be back with you guys. It's, it's felt like a very long time, and the team and I were just saying as we were walking, like we miss being here. So um, please keep our word in your prayers, but it is really good for the rest of us to be back with you today. And um, the last time we were here, I spoke um, on the difference between belief and trust and what that looks like and about how you can believe in God, but that doesn't mean you're trusting in Him. And um, I used the example, if you remember, of the wheelbarrow and about how everyone watched uh, the man, uh, Charles, I can't remember his surname now, walk across with the wheelbarrow. And when he got to the other side and the cheering crowd were all there just saying, you're amazing. And he said, do you think I can do the same thing on the way back? And they were all like, yeah. And when he says, okay, get in it and I'll push you. And no one goes. So that's the difference between believing and trusting. Big, big difference. And I was reading um, about uh, Paul the Apostle and Silas. And when they were thrown into prison, and uh, they were falsely put into prison, obviously. Um, and they were in the innermost parts of the prison at midnight. And they're worshipping God in the midst of their hardship. They've been beaten by the guards. And then they're in the worst part of the prison, surrounded by prisoners who did deserve to be there. And at midnight, they're praising and worshipping God. And there is a, God sends an earthquake. And it's not your average earthquake. Because this earthquake takes all the doors off and breaks all the chains off. And um, the prison uh, guard, the head one, is immediately thinking, right, everyone's escaped. I'm going to be held responsible. So he goes to kill himself. But Paul calls out to him and says, don't worry, we're all still here. And um, it says that he, the prison guard, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he and his whole family were baptized. And that... I thought was a great phrase he believed on not just in and it's something that all of us need to work out in our lives as we trust God as we go ahead in our walks with him are we believing in him or are we believing on him are we standing on truth or do we just believe that there's truth but it's held at a distance in our lives and um, I wanted to talk today <clears throat> about something which doesn't make a lot of sense and it's talking about joy in trials. I don't think anyone, anywhere in the earth, no matter what path you choose for your life, can live 10 years without facing either a trial or a struggle or a hardship. I don't know all of your lives closely, so I don't know if right now you're in the midst of a hardship, whether that's sickness, whether that's family trouble, um, but at some point, all of us, and usually several times in our lives, will go through a trial or a struggle. And it can be the death of a family member. Um, it can be all sorts of things that are to us absolutely the hardest things to go through. And um, in the book of James, I want to start with that, it says something that doesn't make any sense to us in our natural minds. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And now, I don't know if any of us, naturally, unless you have the most optimistic disposition and character, think, fantastic, here's a trial. You've also almost got to be a bit crazy to look at a trial and think, that's great. Because a trial is a challenge and it's a test. 
And so none of us like to go through those kind of things. None of us like to go through having a broken heart, having a lost dream, failing at a test, failing at something that we had put our hope in, letting ourselves down, letting other people down. None of these things, none of the trials that we can face in life are attractive to us. But God tells us to consider it pure joy. And so I want to look at what a trial's purpose is. A trial's purpose doesn't come from God. God isn't purposefully bringing drama into your life. The Bible said he is good and he only does good. So you can rest assured that God is not the source of your problem. If God were to be the source of your problem, how could you possibly go to him in faith and ask him to fix the problem if he's the one that created it? And I want to share a testimony in a minute of what we saw this week of how in the midst of a trial, what God's plans and purposes were. And we've seen that in an incredible way this week with an emergency aid situation. But I just want to, um, there's a verse actually in Isaiah that I want, to, uh, I want to come to. Okay, so Isaiah 58. And it is a challenge to us in a trial. The, if it says in, in James, it continues when it says about finding joy, considering it pure joy. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask, because God gives graciously without finding fault. One of the first things that we need to succeed in a trial is wisdom. But if we don't realize we need wisdom, we can go through it. Jesus talked, as I'm sure you know, about the parable of the sower, that some seeds go on ground where when the challenges of life come, it chokes out the weed. It chokes out, sorry, chokes out the seed. And um, if we look at the circumstance and we don't look at God and trust him in the circumstance to be faithful and good to us, we can completely lose our balance in God and in who he is. And um, so the first thing we need in a trial is humility. We need to say, God, I need you. And if we don't do that, we're trying to face it in our own strength. And if we understand our uh, the need for humility, we will then be asking him for wisdom because we know that he's the source of that. Um, and in Isaiah 58, it starts in, in verse 9, it says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall be dawn in the darkness, and the darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will continually uh, guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. It's talking here about a drought season, and sometimes trials are that. It's like an absence of good. It isn't that something is really hard and horrible. It can just feel like a drought. But in those times, God is promising that if we have allowed his Holy Spirit to put a focus on us, a light on us, and say, Lord, is there any pointing? Am I judging other people? That's what it means to point the finger. If I point at Daniel and go, oh, he did that, I'm judging him. That's what the Lord says we need to put away from ourselves. If we put that away, and we don't put heaviness on other people, and we don't speak evil, then our lights will shine. 
and then we're going to see God's faithfulness. And in the drought season, it says the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul. And your soul is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. And God says all those things are going to be satisfied in me in the middle of a drought. So what looks like a negative, there is a plan and purpose of God in that. And only knowing that can mean that we can look at a trial and I go, I consider that joy. Because I know God is going to be walking through that with me. Because he promises to never leave me, to never forsake me. I think in my life I have learnt to an extent that lesson. I can say that, that I have gone through things, trials and hardships, transitions, where I have now come to a place that when I see things, I think, oh, God's going to meet me there. That looks hard. Or this is not right. But I know God will be glorified in it. And I know I can trust him, that his presence will be brighter and stronger in my life as a result of it. So I'm starting to walk it. I'm not going to tell you that I'm like pure joy every time I see a hardship come. I'm not. But I'm, I'm learning that God is so faithful if we walk this out. That we can go, ah, oh, there's joy in this moment. I don't understand why this hardship's come, but I know I can trust you in it. I know for me, the two hardest things I've walked through where I've known God's presence the closest. I had severe depression for two years and God healed me. I lost a baby and God was good to me in those moments which were the hardest things that I've walked through. And I've come out the other side, I'm totally healed and I know that God was good. I have a complete confidence in his goodness. Even though the hardest things I walked through, he was there with me. And um, there's also a, a story which you may well be familiar with, but of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It's in the book of Daniel. If you don't know it, or even if you do, it's a great thing just to revisit this. So it's in the book of uh, Daniel and chapter 3. Now there's a king called Nebuchadnezzar, and the trial that these three faced, they were friends of Daniel. Um, they were told, well the whole nation was told, um, that they, whenever they heard the music, they had to bow to the statue of the king. He made a statue of himself of pure gold. I mean, talk about an egomaniac, right? And um, so whenever they heard the music, they were supposed to bow and worship the statue of the king. And they refused to do that because they followed Jesus. Well, they followed the, the true king. They followed the Lord. Um, Jesus hadn't been revealed at that point. And... Um, this is a trial that none of us, I don't believe, have had to go through, where it's we either have to bow or we face death. Um, but that's what happened to these three. And um, they refused to bow. Everyone else in the city is bowing and they're standing. And um, so Nebuchadnezzar calls them to him. And it says that his, he was full of fury, that his anger burnt within him. Um, in verse 19 of chapter 3, it says, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the fiery furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of strength who were in his army to bind them and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers and their turbans and they were cast into the middle of the burning fiery furnace. Um, the fire was exceedingly hot and the flame of the fire killed the men 
who carried Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. That is a hard trial to go through that I don't think any of us hopefully will ever have to relate to. They were bound and they were thrown into the fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke to his counsellors and said, didn't we cast three men bound up in the middle of the fire? They answered and said to the king, you're right, O king. Look, he shouted, I see four men free walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the middle of the fire, and all the governors and the king's counselors gathered around them. You can imagine that moment, right? And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. In a trial, the only purpose of anything getting burnt from us is the bondage that the world would put on us. These men were bound, tied, it says tied around their heads, tied around their clothes, their turbans, everything. They were bound up. When you go through a fire in life, when you go through a trial, know that the purposes of God in that are for him to be glorified and for anything that the world has put on you to be burnt off. That's the only thing that's supposed to be burnt on you when you come out of a trial. You're not supposed to come through a trial bruised and battered. You're supposed to come through out with a roar in your spirit saying, my God is good, my God is faithful, he can be trusted. So I would like to tell you uh, the story of a girl called Irene, who we uh, met last week. Um, we have partnerships with several different churches in Davao, and, um, uh, as, and some of them are very connected. Um, there is a church in Tolomo, and I know you know about the storms of last week and the floods that happened in a few different riverside communities. Well, Tolomo was one of those that was severely affected, and there's a church that we are connected with in that community. And the water came into the church, came up to kind of, I guess, my knee height inside the church building. Um, but in the, the communities where the houses were that are in that church, um, the water was above my head height. The dam wasn't shut, there was a miscalculation. So um, the water just flooded all the way through that community. Um, 60 people from that church lost all of their belongings, um, you know, their school equipment, all, all of these things. And um, so the team and I went up last week with the provisions God had given us, um, school supplies, food, emergency food aid and things like that, um, and met and prayed with some of the families and the pastor there. Um, the pastor asked us to walk into the community just to connect with some of the families further. So we did that and um, one of the girls we met there was a girl called Irene. And, um, she, her story was that she's been part of that church for, uh, since the age of five, she's now 25. And she'd been saving up to build her own home. So she had bought all the lumber and she just started the construction. And that's when the flood came. 
So the flood took away all of the lumber, all of her savings, obviously, gone with this flood. And um, she's not yet married. And um, so she's got all of this in there. And so I'm meeting with her and chatting with her and her family, a brother and nephews and nieces were all around. And I just felt the heart of God, that there was a deep sadness within her uh, over something else. And it's a little bit of a crazy thing to ask someone who's just lost their home and their hopes and their future dreams, are you okay? Is there something wrong? Because, <laughs> like, you know, obviously there is. But I really felt this kind of a nag in my spirit that the Holy Spirit was doing something else. And uh, it's something that I've always learnt to do that the Holy Spirit has shown me, is ask Him in a situation, what are you doing? Because it's often more than we can see. And um, so I felt this, so I responded to it, and I asked her if I could pray with her, and I asked her if there was something else that was upsetting her. And she spoke to the pastor in Versailles, and he, he helped me understand fully um, that she had just come back from the doctors, and she was just about to leave to go to the hospital. Um, she had severe stomach pain, and uh, the doctors had tested her and found that she had appendicitis that needed to be, have surgery done immediately. So on top of losing her home and all of these things, her, all of her belongings, she was now facing having an imminent surgery. And there's a long recovery period from appendicitis, it's a minimum of eight weeks. Um, but she was just about to leave to go to the hospital for that. So um, as a team, we prayed with her, with the pastor, and I just laid my hands on her stomach and very simply prayed for healing in the name of Jesus. And then moved on and we met other people. Um, there was something about her that just wouldn't leave my heart. You could just really sense God was doing something significant there. And I said to Henry, can you please just text and find out how she's doing? If she goes into the hospital, we want to go visit her. Um, Henry texted me back the next night that he just got word from her that the, the surgery was cancelled. Her appendix was either, either God healed that appendix or gave her a new one, I don't know, but the appendix was perfect. She was totally pain free. And um, obviously, was, and her words, I think Henry said, was she was more than okay. And um, it was such a powerful thing that God had done in the midst of a crisis. And um, I shared that testimony with a friend of mine who's um, in a different country. And she's actually the same age as Irene. And um, she phoned me back. And uh, she said, I can't get Irene out of my head. The Lord has told me to pay for her lumber to be restored to her. And so Irene, and Irene doesn't know that yet. <laughs> um, but. Irene went to the church and testified publicly how God had healed her. And you, that, that is such a picture of what God wants to do in your trial. Whether you're in a trial today, you're in a trial tomorrow, remember this story. That in a place of crisis, God wants to show you that he is your comforter, he is your healer, he is your restorer. The trial did not come from God. He is going to glorify himself in your life and draw you closer in understanding his goodness and his love in that trial. And that entire community now, the ones that know Jesus and the ones that aren't, when we sp spoke to the pastor yesterday, he was buzzing, because he said, everyone's talking about this, that God did something. When everyone was talking about the flood, now they're talking that God healed Irene. 
And what a testimony that is. And when he, her house is restored, they're going to say as well, wow, God did that. All the glory goes to God, but all of our trust goes to him in that crisis. So my challenge to us all today, me included, is we face things that are hard in our hearts, in our lives, in our families' lives. Bring them to the Lord because he is good and he's worthy to be trusted. He wants to show himself. Don't keep your eyes on the waves. Keep your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen.